Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and this is a special show in honor and remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King stated, I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves, and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. I also have another quote from him. People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. And this is what this show is about tonight. A journey by a descendant of a slave owner to connect with the descendants of individuals enslaved by his family. Kami Zarin is a British journalist at the beginning stages of understanding and researching his family history. His maternal line is traced back to John Reinhardt of Edgeville, South Carolina. Kami received a document where he saw two names listed in his ancestors' papers, Cato and Tact. Through seeing those names, Kami decided that he wanted to find out what happened to Cato and Tack. He reached out to me because I was on a journey searching for my South Carolina kin and also connected with the slave owner descendant of my family in Edgeville. The descendant, Dr. Connie McNeil, and I shared our experience of connecting with each other nearly 50 years ago. Kami went to Edgeville and also spent time with Tanya Guy at the Old Edgeville Genealogical Society and the Edgeville Archives and found a number of transactions 
that identified other individuals enslaved by his family. In addition, Harris Bailey Jr., the historian who wrote the historical uh, portion of Our Ancestors, Our Stories, provided the historical context of Edgeville's slave-owning community. Tonight, Kami and Zeran and his cousin Sam Reinhardt will share their reaction, their search, and journey to connect with descendants of individuals enslaved by his family. Kami is developing a documentary that will actually chronicle and show everyone his journey. I'd like to just give a warm welcome to Kami and Zara and Sam Reinhardt. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so let's just start off with what motivated you to come to Edgeville? That is a really, really uh, good question and one I've um, been getting more and more excited about explaining to people. A few years ago, I was passed a bunch of documents, some family documents, and uh, one of them was a will of uh, my fourth great-grandfather. And my fourth great-grandfather uh, was a German immigrant who settled in Edgefield. Uh, so that's why I'm here. And the reason that I've come is in that will, uh, I was confronted with something that, um, that, still, that still shocks me, although it shouldn't. Um, my, my mum's American, and I've always known that our family were Southerners, so it shouldn't really have surprised me. But when I read that will and discovered that we, our family, had owned slaves, I was really affected by that, and uh, you know, on a on an intellectual and an emotional level. So I emotionally, I, I just had loads of questions. I felt I felt angered and saddened and confused by this. But on an, an intellectual level, I I thought, well, what happened? What happened to the people that my ancestors once owned? And could I somehow? track down their descendants and find out about them and their lives. That's what brought me to Edgefield. So that's what brought you to Edgefield. So tell us about the people that were enslaved and what did you find on those documents? So the first things I read were two names. Two, and this, this is the language that the will used, two Negroes named Cato and Tack who were in the will of John Reinhardt in 1829. So, you know, what, what do we know from that? Not very much, other than presumably they were old enough to be considered men and not boys. Uh, and, of course, this was well before 65. So trying to find out more about where they ended up is a, is a whole world of research that I knew nothing about and I've only started to know more about since I've been here. And since we've been here, I've discovered that they, of course, were not the only enslaved people that the Reinhardts owned, and there were many others. There were many other names 
there were women and children, and some very young children. And they were either sold or passed on to a range of, a range of individuals, most of whom I have found out were probably reasonably close to the Reinhardts, either family by marriage or, or neighbors. Um, and so that's, that's the beginning of the journey, that I've got these names and I have a sense of where they may have ended up in the next 10 or 15 years, but I don't know much more than that. So Sam, how does it feel to hear that your ancestors own slaves and that there's going to be some attempt to connect with the descendants of those slaves? Well, <clears throat> it's a lot to take in. Um, I mean, my initial reaction was, wow, that's some bad news. Um, but I think we have an opportunity here to, you know, find out more about our history, you know. Um, it's scary, you know. Scary in what way? It's scary to think that, you know, ancestors enslaved people. It's not something that, you know, our fathers certainly wouldn't have considered and we wouldn't consider and our children wouldn't consider. Um, we know it happened, but until recently, you know, it was... It happened to someone else, you know. So it's suddenly different when it when you know it was it was our family. That that somehow we will have benefited. Well, that's a, that that's my initial that 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 is my initial and my kind of enduring reaction to this. That that um that this benefited our family in a way. And therefore, it benefited me, and I, you know that doesn't sit very easy with me. Mm -hmm. So you had an opportunity to speak to um, Dr. Connie McNeil, uh, and we know that Dr. Connie McNeil's family owned slaves, and that I am one of the descendants of the slaves that her family owned. How did you process some of the information she shared with you about from a descendant's perspective? So uh, there have been, been a number of things that I've been surprised about by people's reactions here. On the one hand, nobody has said this is a bad idea. Everybody I've met and everybody I've spoken to has said, you know what, it's really important that we have these conversations and they might be difficult, but you should have them anyway. And I've, I've been impressed by that, and I've been um, energized by that, because it makes me think that this is a worthwhile endeavor, because I know that it is going to be difficult. On the other hand, I have, I have been told by a number of people that the institution of slavery was, in fact, in some way benevolent, and that slave-owning families cared for their slaves as if they were family. And I just don't agree with that. And so when I've heard that, I, I say to people, really? How, how can you possibly say that a system that was 
clearly about dehumanizing one set of people so that their so that their the wealth of their labor could be extracted could it ever be anything other than exploitative so um you know i think there's still quite a lot of um i think people are in denial still about about what really went on yes and and by them being in denial that's how they cope or how they justify slavery I th that would that would seem to be the case you know so you, you we we can all say look it wasn't me it wasn't something that i did and that uh, and so therefore i you know it is <laughs> you know wh whether one feels guilt or not is a is a is a personal matter because i i, I accept that you you know some people say you can't feel guilt for something that you didn't do um but that but that doesn't mean that one can't have a discussion around whether there is a debt and whether that debt is a, is a, a monetary one, a, a matter of reparation, or whether it is a, one of healing, and what we as a society need to do to make things right, um, that's, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in what we need to do, what further healing needs to be done. And maybe, maybe that is about um, making, you know, we've, look, the big picture is I think we, we have to ask questions around why it still is that, um, the life chances of African Americans are not the same as uh, European Heritage Americans. And I can't see how that doesn't involve looking at how institutionalized slavery and the legacy of slavery still is. I don't have the answers, but it, for me it starts with a discussion about who benefited from that original sin. Right. Um, and when you think about that original sin, you have genealogists and you have descendants that have documents. And they see those names and they say, oh, yes, this person had seven slaves, ten slaves, one hundred slaves. And it's so casually mentioned that you wonder what's going on here because we're talking about human beings, mm. human beings on a document <coughs> listed with the furniture and the cattle and whatever it's, else. It's, it's unfathomable. I mean, it's, I often wonder if I were placed back in time where I look around and go, well, everybody else is doing it. And I strongly, strongly believe I wouldn't. I just, it's so far from from how I was brought up and, and how I've been taught to live and how I live that it is it is unfathomable. I just can't wrap my head around you know, I I've studied history. I, I know that there were a lot of cultures, ancient cultures, that slavery was a part of war. It was part of you know, conquest and things like that, and it, you know it happened, but so close to our civilization, you know, it's it's just mind-boggling. You wonder how how it could even have ever been justified. Exactly. exactly. How could it have ever taken place, and for so long? Mm. For so long, and it was okay.
it was acceptable. So as a descendant now, you want to reach out. Yeah. So how do you plan to do that? Well, part of the part of the reason for making contact with you is to find out how to do that. Uh, so I'm in the process of making a film uh, about my search for Cato and Tech and the other people that I've discovered uh, my ancestors owned. Um, and uh, talking to you now and being on your radio show is, is part of me trying to find out what happened to them. And SJ and I are going to, for example, go and visit the church that John Reinhardt set up you know, 190 years ago, um, longer than that, in fact, about 200 years ago, to see if there's any institutional memory of Reinhardt, black Reinhardts, because, of course, the slaves took the owner's names, and I know a bit more, having been here, that uh, a number of uh, the Reinhardt enslaved people ended up as Kynards, some ended up as Kaufmans. So there are a number of family names that uh, the people that we owned may, may now carry uh, in terms of their lineage. Mm -hmm. So for it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of discussing with people what they know about their own backgrounds and also being as forensic as I can about uh, looking through the documents and the wills and the probate records that, that I now know exist and, and trying to trace as, as carefully as possible. Well, so if, if Cato uh, and, and Tack, in fact, well, I now know that Tack is Jack because there was a misspelling on the, on the will transcript. Mm. If they started off with, with John Reinhardt and then he died and so they were transferred, quote unquote, to his uh, wife, um, Catherine uh, born Chapman became Reinhardt um, and then ended up as a uh, as a wise because she remarried uh, you know I've got to kind of go through and go back to other people's probates and figure out what they then left to their offspring and whether they in fact inherited them or whether they were transferred and sold elsewhere so it's a it's a massively complicated process um, and I will be continuing to ask you, Bernice, <laughs> what the best way to do this will be. Yes. I'm interested well, to, to find out when it stopped. You know, he wants, he, he, I heard what you want. I would love to know, all right, this is when somebody finally stood up and said, you're free. Yeah. Well, I think that would be something. Well, certainly you had the Emancipation Proclamation, you had the Civil War, and you had people that were still alive and moving. There was movement. There, the Freedmen Bureau was trying to help people. And so you most likely will find these people in the 1870 census. But the descendants may be but, out but there but also but looking. But the, tri the trick for me, in the, for example, in the 1870 census, is knowing what name they carry. Because I, yes. you know, I don't know what, wh who they would have been with by that stage. So mm -hmm. even those small details become yeah. quite, quite hard to be... You know, 100% sure. Well, one of the things that, I mean, as you, you mentioned different names yeah. and different transactions, is that you will have to really cast a broad net throughout Edgefield, throughout the genealogy community, stating this is what you're looking for, mm. and start giving those names. 
because that's the only way that people are going to connect the dots back to Edgeville. That makes sense. By you saying, I'm looking for the Wise family, I'm looking for the Chapmans, or whatever those people's names are, you definitely have to identify who you know the enslaved were with at a particular point in time. Mm -hmm. Descendants may be looking the same way that I was looking. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just so happened that my enslaved ancestors took the name of the person that enslaved them. Yours may not. Mm -hmm. But you still have, they have first names, and they probably are keeping those first names. Their last names may be changing. So you just have to cast that net, identify every last one of them. Mm. And I think you do have documents that have all of the names of the different individuals. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, I, you know, I've got a reasonably good understanding of, uh, uh, by looking at John Reinhardt's probate, which is the, the, the final, uh, the, the, you know, the final notarized inventory and, and it's sad to discuss it in those terms but it was it's a receipt man it's a business transaction yeah. this is mm -hmm. this is not some kind of cozy oh we're looking after our people which i've heard some people say mm -hmm. it was it was not that it was these are, are we own this with my shovels and my hogs and my 25 yeah. barrels of oats and the, oh, by the way, here's a few here's a few people, and they had a value. And the other shocking thing, of course, which will not be a shock to your listeners because they're familiar with this, but you know, I, I, <laughs> I this morning I spent uh, an hour or so in the archives looking through the probate for John Reinhardt Senior, mm -hmm. who died in uh, 1855. The total value of his estate when he died in in 55 was nearly sixteen thousand dollars. Okay. At that time, a thousand dollars would now be about thirty-five, between thirty and thirty-five thousand dollars. Okay, so fifteen, nearly sixteen thousand dollars. At that rate of exchange, his estate was worth about half a million bucks. Okay, so he was he was a reasonably wealthy guy. Not not like super rich, but he he had yeah, stuff. When we broke down the inventory of the things that he owned, he had a mill, which was two and a half thousand. Um, he had uh, shares in a gold mine, which was about four and a half thousand. And the majority of the rest of his wealth was slaves. Hmm. And, and that was kind of 10 or 11 <coughs> people. Um, and so, you know, that means something. And and it's, I mean, how do you quantify the impact of this? How do you quantify the impact of knowing that those African-American families back then were stripped of all that wealth and it was recycled through my family? We benefited from that. Um, and it's hard to deal with. Yes, it is hard to deal with, I can imagine. What, what do you think about this? It's a big size. It's, it? it's heavy. Um, I think I think uh, I think you're on the right track. You know, um, and you know, as I said before, I'll do everything I can to help. I'm here. So, let's just see how that plays out. I'm a descendant. What are you going to say to me? And that's what that's what makes me. 
sad and um, that's that's what is hardest because what do I say what do, what do I do how do I make it better well, what did your owner say to you she said this is who I am and I'll help you with whatever you need call me talk to me um, but these are the records here is your ancestors and I did I called she tried to interpret as much of the documents as she could uh, in some places she would justify what was going on that the woman wasn't supposed to work she needed help <laughs> and uh, in my thought process well what about the slave woman she needed help too right. but she had no choice she had to be there for somebody else she had to take care of their needs before she could take care of the needs of her family and her children so in my own thought process I had to go through anger shock and then get to the point where I said, okay, so reality has hit me. For the first time in my life, I saw my ancestors on a inventory. Right. The first time. And this is what you may encounter. You may encounter people that are seeing this for the very first time. They may not know how to behave. They just know there is a, there's a reaction. Mm. I mean, there's a pain there. And then they may go through different stages of, of understanding and then acceptance and then saying, but look who I am today. You know, my family, a strong family, they're resilient, they survive, and I have to do as good as I can as a human being just to make them proud. You know? So are you glad that she reached out to you? Yes. Because if she hadn't reached out to me, I may not have even right. found the document. So you can take and that. And so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think knowledge, you know, knowledge is really important, and it is a shared history. Um, uh, but that doesn't, you know, maybe it's not enough. And, you know, it, it, like I'm, I know I keep, pushing, I keep pushing at this, but that's, and in a sense, it's an argument about, it's a wider point about than just me and my family. It's about the way that society is organized. Right. Right. Um, but it's not. It's not good enough to say. I don't think it's good enough to say. Oh, it's a, it's society's problem, right? Because then you're pushing. You're saying, well, I can't. I can't do anything about this. It's as if we are all part of society, aren't we? We are. And I'm just. Mm -hmm. I'm, I. I don't have the answers. Right. I do not have the right. answers. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to have the discussion, and I want to know what people think, and I'm really curious. And I want to help in that, but I, I, I don't know what I can do, and I don't know what would be enough. When I, when actually intellectually, part of me thinks that I probably owe something. <laughs> I think I, but you know, I can't. I just, I think I do. Now, but, but then that, but that think, might make you feel good that you owe something, but. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and I say, and I kind of say this with the perspective of, okay, so my father's Nigerian, my, and it's going to get a little bit more complicated in a second, 
and this is not a discussion I've had with you really yet, Bernice. My father's Nigerian, my mother's American. She's a southerner, she's German extraction. So, on the one hand, yeah, I'm African-American, but I'm not African-American in the way one commonly would describe it, okay? I was born in Zambia, grew up in London, I kind of have a British outlook on, on, on life. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of looking at this from the outside, right? Um, but I'm also, I am the embodiment of this original sin in that I'm, I'm a white, descendant of white slave-owning stock and I never directly suffered from slavery. In fact, I benefited from it. Now, the thing that gets more interesting is when I look at my dad's side, my dad's people were traders. They were market traders. They used to set up market outposts and trade all kinds of goods in the Niger Delta. One of the things we traded, so folklore has it, was people. people. Was people. It's not just my American side, it's my African side too. We're part of this. So I am part of this both ways. Yes, you are. <laughs> Man, you but that's issues. your reason. You have issues. <laughs> Man, you got issues. <laughs> and I'm trying to process this. And that's yes. that actually that's what's driving Yes. And I, I think when, when you and I first spoke, I said, mm-hmm, your people got rid of us and your people didn't bought us. So I uh, owned oh, us. Goodness. I mean, it is it's a double-edged sword, hmm. but, it's, but it's a journey that will benefit you and others because you have an opportunity to share your learning experience and to encourage others to go along with you on this journey. So tell us, when will you mm. begin your project? Mm -hmm. And then how can individuals contact you if they are indeed a descendant? Well, I, you know, whether you're a descendant or, or not, whether you're just interested and have some tips on what I should do, uh, whether we are related, whether you're part of the, the um, white Reinhardt or the black and Zerums or the black Reinhardts or Kynards or Kaufmans, best way to get hold of me is via email. My email address is K-E-M-E -E at N-Z-E-R-E-M dot com. And I am going to soon be editing a small trailer version of the material that we've been shooting. And I'm going to um, turn that into a longer piece when I get back to London. I need to get some more backing to make this project uh, more sustainable and hopefully over the next year we'll start to see something and we'll be putting stuff out there. Okay. Well, everyone, you have heard the email address, you have heard from Kemi and also Sam and Reinhardt's Black and White, please reach out, please share, please, please share what you know those of you that have insight as to what he should do and where he should go, also reach out. And we'll, I'll keep you posted. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me and my cards. All right. <laughs> okay, Sam and Kimmy. That's it. <laughs> 
Okay, everyone, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back on because I now want you all to share your thoughts on perhaps what Kami should do. Just a quick break. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you just finished hearing an interview with Kami and Zara and Sam Reinhardt. Kami is heading home now. He's on his way back to London, but he will be listening to the show tomorrow. And so I want to open up the phone line to have others call in to to offer advice. But before I do that, I want to just say a few things about the reparation guidelines that were developed by a working group from uh, coming to the table. And this working group, I'm going to just mention two recommendations they have when individuals are seeking to find those that their family members enslave. The first step, if you will, that people should do is acknowledge. They need to acknowledge and face and uncover what's happening with their history. So what what Kami has done, he has conducted a personal uh, review of his family. And in that, he is now attempting to really understand just what slavery was like in Edgefield. And that's what he spent time doing. Also, you want to acknowledge to yourself, your family, and others the injustice the pain, and the suffering of generations of African-American people and racial prejudice perpetrated directly and directly by your ancestors. I know that's something that may sound very, very difficult, as you heard the big sigh from Sam, 
but this is part of what you're going through. Think of what individuals who are looking for their ancestors are going through. And then the next step is making connections. Search out and establish meaningful connections and friendships across racial lines. And be sure to connect with and involve people of all ages and across racial lines in formulating and implementing your plan. And this is also something that Kami has done. Now, I want you all to know that there is a book, and this is a, a book that was written and researched by Gloria Ramsey Lucas, the late Gloria Ramsey Lucas, and the book is entitled Slave Records of Edgefield County, South Carolina. All of the information in this book and all of the transactions that are identified are all on Ancestry.com. So that when you hear the name John Reinhardt from Edgeville, South Carolina, you can actually find his records on Ancestry. So just let me give you an idea of what happened to some of the people. He mentioned Cato, Negro boy, the owner, John Reinhardt, the new owner, Elizabeth Reinhardt, 1829 for $466. And then they're listing exactly what box this record is in and what page. If I continue down the line looking at what John Reinhardt did, I can go all the way to 1854 and see another person, Negro, Lil, Negro woman, from John Reinhardt to Harriet Reinhardt. And then there are other names, Jethro, Pricey, Sal and Peg, Charles, David, Frank, George, Henry, James, Joseph, Nancy, uh, Pete, and Thomas. So as you can see, it's more than Cato and Jack. It's a long list of people. So I hope that those of you that have uh, Ancestry.com, if you've spent any time looking at the slave records of Edgeville County, you will be able to at least see who those people are. Well, I have a few people on the line, and I, and so I'm going to just open up the line to hear what you have to say. Caller one uh, nine one six. Do you have a comment or a question? Just a comment. Um, this is Kanika, and just reach out. Definitely, I would much rather have the opportunity. If I am the descendant of those slaves, I would love to to have the opportunity to investigate more or not. So hopefully, he will put together some kind of either letter or you know whatever the suggested method is to let them know that hey, guess what, folks? And here's if you want to get in touch with me, here's how you can do it, and we can talk about what the information is. So, I, yeah, I would hope that he would just give them the opportunity of turning down his invitation or accepting his invitation to get more information. Well, and also I just want to mention uh, the Old Edgefield Genealogy Society did post a letter in their newsletter. Uh, 
called The Quill, of which, yes, Kami did send a letter stating that he what he was doing. So, you know, just as you mentioned, uh, sending a letter, he did post it. He hasn't gotten a response yet, but he's putting it out there. Yeah, he's putting it Uh out there. That's great. You have anything else? I have another caller on the line. That's it. Okay. Okay, Thank thank you. you so much for calling in. Caller 650, do you have a question or a comment? Hello, it's Nika. How are you? Hi, Nika. How you doing? Well, I am what doing do you well. Great. So do you have any comments or recommendations for Kami? Yeah, I, I would say um, in my opinion, I think that he is probably going to find some kind of sort of like kinship or um, uh, I would say similarities with the African-American experience in general. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, there was, a, there was a time towards the end of the segment where you spoke with him about the fact that, you know, he talked about how his, his father's side participated in the trade through, you know, you know, supplying the uh, product, so to speak, you know, supplying the people, and then his mother's side, you know, purchased them. And that's a tightrope that most people of African descent um, who identify as African-American are dealing with in the United States. They are descendants of both the slaveholder and the enslaver. And so um, it's a constant battle that is always having to be fought and and, um, that you're always having to push against. And so, um, you know, because we walk that tightrope, I think we have a unique experience. And because we do, we can't, we, we almost can't plan for how people are going to react to being on one side of our ancestral history versus the other. You just don't know until you get there. Um, so we can plan all day, you know, but we've got to be mindful. Sometimes people may want a relationship and sometimes they may not. And we have to be okay with either, with either of those things. That's right. I I agree with you. And you can't you can't force a relationship. I mean, some people may say don't even come near me. Others mm-hmm. may say, "Okay, give me the information." But that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think too, especially when you get into conversations about reparations, you know, that's something that is very personal to a scenario or a set of people, and I think that, you know, just is, is I really appreciated how he had gone through and really synthesized the information that he was getting from the documents, you know, not just looking at dollar values and stopping at the fact that, you know, oh, my gosh, my family owned people and they had a dollar value associated. No, he actually took the time to process how much wealth did this generate for my family? How much were these enslaved people missing out on in terms of their wealth creation? And how is that? How did those things change the trajectory for both families? That is a worthy discussion. That is going to bring descendants on either side to the table because it's real and it's factual. Just like we're dealing with a government shutdown right now, and there are 800,000 people who do not have income coming in, you know, because the government is shut down, that, is, that potentially could be affecting their retirement. That could be affecting, you know, uh, whether or not they can afford their mortgage, pay their light bills, have food, right? 28 days, right? This is, this is 30 days of that. We're talking centuries of, of enslavement of people. So That's just right. as people can pound the pavement and read every article to see, you know, when Schumer and Pelosi are going to meet with the president, you need to treat your ancestors the exact same way. 
and you need to process the information the exact same way. So um, I think right. he's on the right track. I, I really do. Um, you just the, the only thing about this is that you just cannot be prepared. And I think if people want to take a reparational, you know, perspective on this, it needs to be individual and and um, specific. Um, because just throwing money out somewhere just to check off the box is not really reparations. That's not the whole point of it. That, that you're right. You're right. One of the things that, and when Dr. McNeil and I were uh, meeting with Kami. And the question was, well, you know, what are you doing? That was the question he asked her. And she said, you know, I'm I'm trying to educate. But the main thing is I want to make sure that I'm there to not let this happen again. We cannot allow slavery to happen again. No, and unfortunately, we can't. you know, unfortunately even Antoinette Harrell, the, the slavery detective, has found, you know, peonage records. And so, you know, we we know things are still happening. Maybe they're coming under another heading, um, for-profit prisons or what have you, but it's yes. something that we yes. do need to uh, stay aware of and on top of so that it will not happen again. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the ways that the average person is participating in, in another form of enslavement is through 401Ks. You know, people have – that's like the standard way of, of contributing to a retirement plan now. And a lot of folks are unaware of where their funds are being spent to generate money for them. You know, on, on it, 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 you, people do people realize that there are major Fortune 500 companies that are – you know, that they're, they're investing in for-profit prisons. That's where your retirement is being funded is through for-profit prisons. And, do, and if people really want to get real about this and address it at a level that it needs to be addressed, we need to look at all areas, right? If we're going to talk about that, we need to talk about, you know, the, the conditions that people are working in with regard to produce and, and food in our country and how people don't want those jobs, yet people who come over here who are considered illegal are working those positions, and then thus they're being forced into basically legalized slavery because that's their option, it's better than where they were, and then now you're under the threat of ICE, which you could basically liken to slave catchers at this point because they're not presenting ID, they're not wearing uh, official clothing. I mean, we, we could go on for days about all this, but, you know, to me, every, every situation is individual, it's specific, and, you know, slavery is always, it's, it's gone by another name. You know, since since you know the emancipation, since the Thirteenth Amendment abolished it, and, and with the exception of involuntary servitude, it's gone for by another name. And and to me, you know, deciding to divest from a certain four hundred one k or pressuring your your employer to invest differently is one thing. But sitting at the at the dinner table at Thanksgiving when those stories start coming across the turkey. You know, you're you're talking to your 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 cousins and your elders, and they're spouting out about the good times and whatnot about family, and they're neglecting to mention the names of the people who were busting that same table that you're sitting at, or who made sure that that chafing dish made it to this century. They're they're not bringing up those names, so it's just as powerful right. to divest as it is to say their names and to change and to alter the course of how the history is shared in your family as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nika, for calling in. And I have another caller on the line, caller 443. 
you have a question or a comment or a recommendation for Kami. Hi, Bernice. This is Angela. I hope you're uh, um, just so – well, I my head is spinning, and I'm just so impressed with the work um, uh, and the seriousness that uh, Kami is taking towards this. And I'm sure you must have been inspired because you were there and met them. Um, but uh, and I certainly want to commend them for that. I did have a suggestion, uh, and actually, it's a question followed by a suggestion. The question is, I guess, and only he can answer that as he's begun to look for descendants. Uh, if he knows whether or not the Reinhardt name um, stayed, um, and even if it did not, there is uh, a suggestion that I have to find people who may have migrated away from that area. Um, one of the tools that I use now to find people who did leave in the 20th century, early 20th century, and beginning the migration maybe away from the family's homestead, original uh, place of origin, um, is to use the database that many of us use um, from 1940s looking at World War II. I mentioned this recently uh, in a presentation. It is a wonderful tool to use to find people who have migrated away from a community. You can put in a surname and put in, uh, don't even put in a target destination city, but put in a surname and a place of birth, and the database will pull up everyone with that surname wherever they are in the country. I do put in race as an indicator, uh, which then is going to at least push those of African ancestry to the top of the, the long list that will appear. And, um, um, you know, certainly I can write out the steps for that uh, if they're not familiar with what I'm talking about. But uh, I would certainly recommend that as a strategy and using a database which was created for one purpose, but I use it for another purpose in addition to that. And that would be a strong suggestion. But uh, it's still very moving, um, just listening um, to your guests. Uh, wow. Uh, because particularly there is no rule book. There is no rule book. And we see people all the time who say, wow, I found out my ancestors held slaves. What can I do with this information? And there is no step-by-step -step guide. At least you did put out some pieces of information I think you shared from coming to the table. Um, yes. And I'm um, I'm glad that you shared that, um, but it's happening on multiple levels, multiple platforms. People are asking questions, and some people don't know about them, about um, coming to the table. So, you know, they're really traveling on uncharted ground, uncharted territory, and it's sort of a new area in the whole research experience for many of us. But uh, uh, I'm impressed with your guests and and the sincerity that they have, and they're not trying to come across as, oh, I'm a slave, you're going to give you your people. No, they're not trying to do that. No, and, not um, at all, not at all. At all, at all. And um, so it is something that at least uh, I will be happy to at least put it in step-by-step step how I use that database for migration um, and finding people who migrated from one community into another's and into another city, rather, and uh, uh, it might be useful to them. And uh, I would strongly encourage that they use that database for that. Okay. Well, thank and, you very much, Angela. And I can tell you that uh, the, some of the Reinhards did did leave and end up in Louisiana. Well, you know that's interesting because. Um, 
as you say that, I was playing around on my database, by the way, and uh, I'm not sure how close Aiken, South Carolina, is to uh, Edgefield's area. It's but, close. Uh, it's of close, course, yes. It's close. Well, I found a gentleman who was born in the 1880s, 1885. This is the old man's draft who uh, was from South Carolina, his uh, last name is Reinhardt, and I find him in Camden, New Jersey, in 1942. And I found a few other, uh, and he had a wife, Selma. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. And, um, oh, and he worked for the WPA. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, but I found a few other people of color, Carl Reinhardt, or in other states in 1942. So it might be something... That may or may not be useful. Um, I have a couple of ideas that I can at least share, and we'll be happy to, you know, send you some email that you can pass on to them uh, on how, you know, a, a step that they may want to try and pursue to see if there are any descendants from this person who was, you know, who filed for the registered for the draft in the 1940s, but was born in the 19th century, who may be a descendant and might put in a step closer. So. Well. Angela, that would be very helpful uh, to provide that to provide that information. I mean, I know that right now Kami is going through a learning curve, uh, just understanding the documents. And I mean, he did the right thing. He he came to the community, and he he got a feel for what Edgefield was like and Uh saw the courthouse and saw the uh, archives and read the original documents and saw his ancestors' original signature. I mean, you could imagine what it's like being an African-American and you find that information. Uh Uh, It's it's something that you want. I mean, that's what we're all looking for. We're looking for our ancestors. We call this big brick wall, and I'm not talking about looking for our ancestors on a slave schedule where there's a hash mark. I'm talking about oh, yeah. names, yeah. names, yeah. and they had yeah. names. <laughs> I'm saying it over and over again because right. it's very yeah. important yeah. that yeah. people understand right. that, yes, they had names. <laughs> yes, so amen, amen. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, Angela, for calling in. Now, uh, anyone else that has any suggestions or recommendations, please feel free to call in. I know Kami will be listening to this show when he gets home, but the call-in number is 646-200-0491. If you press 1, I will know that you're asking a question. And so this is something that um, that I'm hoping that the genealogy community will embrace and offer offer any kind of assistance that they can give because he is working on this documentary so that you will see his journey as he's going through this. And right now it's it's very it's hard. I mean it's it's hard from a descendant's perspective to see this and say I have to do something. You know, I can't just document I know where my ancestors are from and just move move along, just keep on moving. I have to do something, so this is where he is. Okay, I do have a caller, uh, area code 864. You have a comment or a question? Hello, Bernice. This is Harris. Hello, Harris. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Okay, well, Harris... I mean, 
What's your general take on this? Because you had a chance to spend some time with Kami and with Pierce. So tell us what you well, first, gathered from first your all, conversation. They worked me to death. That's the first thing that they did. I was <laughs> worn out. Uh, I'm really proud of him in terms of of coming here and and beginning this search. They were both wonderful people, uh, uh, very friendly, very nice, and uh, and I enjoyed the time that I had to spend with them, even though they did, you know, work me more than I wanted to be worked. Because I'm an old retired man now, so I don't like to do too much. <laughs> okay, I so in your this. work, what, what did you do? Basically, we just uh, he they asked a series of questions about about Edgefield in eighteen thirty four and eight in the eighteen thirties, and uh, and they asked my perceptions of slavery and how slaves were treated, and and they did come back to the question of uh, uh, benevolence and about how well you know we loved our slaves and we want to take care of them, and, and my whole thing is that. Slavery is a business, and they loved us and they took care of us. But they took care of us because it was their business, their business proposition. So you know that's basically what I kind of talked about, and a little bit. And I told them some strong Thurman stories that I hope don't get in the in the uh, in the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you have any recommendations as far as where can we should? A- I have a couple. First, okay. I think that uh, at some point he needs to get a copy of the 1868 Head of Household Census for South Carolina and check the Reinhardt family as well as, as you know, do a check with the Reinhardts and see and then and match up some of those first names with, with, with possible other names. I know he, had, he said counters and, and some other names. Uh, the 1868 would just give him heads of household, but you know, based on figuring out the time that they were uh, when you know, from the 1850 information that he had, he might be able to figure something out from that. He also needs to look at the uh, South Carolina voter registration roll, and something else he needs to look at is the uh, the militia roll of '68, which was all tied in together. Uh, yes, and that militia to- roll is really helpful. I mean, I found yeah. my insists on the militia role. So you're right. That militia mm-hmm. role will be very helpful for him. And, and that's, you know, he can get hold of that pretty easy because it's online. Uh, he also needs to look for wills beyond 1865 of the White Reinhardt family because if there was some connection with the White Reinhardt and the black and the black slaves of freedmen, uh, they may have, when one died, say after 1865, there may be something in that will that that they gave to that those black individuals, those African American individuals. So that's a long shot, but I've seen it done in the past, and that's something they probably need to look at also. And when we were down there, you showed me a document that Tanya given you that was a deed of trust. Deeds of trust are a lot different from wills. 
And I think he needs to explore that a little bit more and maybe touch base with Tanya again and find out exactly what was going on with that deed of trust. Yes, and, you know, Tanya was very excited about that document because she was reading it and observed that the wife uh, signed something like the widow had a, it was almost like a prenuptial agreement that Mm -hmm. once she entered into that marriage, those people, the enslaved, belonged to her. And she had control over where they would go, and they would not go to her husband. He would not have control. And she she had it all worked out to make certain that she had the control. A lot of times a deed of trust was used as a, uh, emancipation document when mm-hmm. emancipation wasn't possible and even though they were still slaves they were de facto free mm-hmm. so that's why I'm thinking that uh, he needs to talk to Tanya about that and maybe get the original document and see if what else is going on because like I said these are trusts are a lot different from will so uh, and uh, I just think it's something there that she needs to, that he needs to explore and possibly explore with Tanya. Okay. Well, thank you. This is wonderful, and I know that uh, Kami will be very excited to hear uh, some of your recommendations. Thank you so much. A, you have a good evening. I'll talk with you and later. And you do the same. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, I have another caller, area code 434. Hi, Bernice, it's Shelley. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing Hi. fine. I so, Shelley, any recommendations? Yes, and I had posted them in the chat also. Number one, besides the acknowledgement that you talked about, I think it's really good to just go on and get yourself in position that you're going to have some challenges and it's going to be okay. You know, just take the the steps to, you know, work through those challenges. And I'd have to suggest a timeline on specifics that they are learning to start building a timeline to keep track. And as the white Reinhardts had children, have they researched those lines of those children to see if anybody or anyone that might have been attached to Cato or, you know, the other per Jack, and find out if any of the wills showed that one of them might have got, uh, you know, given to one of the daughters, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I thought that would be another place, you know, searching down. And I don't know much on North Carolina as much as I would Virginia, but the rental market of slaves was huge in Virginia. And I don't know if that business side of slavery happened in North Carolina. I'm sure it did, but I just don't know what records and things like that is there. So I would make that as another suggestion. Did either of them, Jack or Cato, um, have a specific trade that they did? Either of them, carpenter, blacksmith, you know, this, that and the other type, and the check for those type records. 
And did they know if they left after freedom or if they died before freedom? I wasn't well, that's, quite sure. He's still, he's still in that, that the process of determining where did they go. And okay. he does have, I mean, the documents are there to say the people that they were sold to. But then the last documents are in 1854. Okay. And so okay. It's, it's the challenge is 1864 and beyond. Right. And tracking right. them to, to see what happened. Right. But the names, well, the names are there next to each yeah. of the transactions. So you know you can see that movement with them. So then... He really, or they, will really need to track the crew or the fan, not necessarily those two, but track right. the other You're people right. that were around them to circle back, hopefully, hopefully to them. And, again, right. I think that's where a timeline might help type thing and looking at the others um, or, you know, through those children of the slaveholders. You know, so that was my now, suggestion. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I, I like your suggestion, and I know he's taking notes. And, <laughs> you know, one of the main things for for all of you genealogists, I mean, we're putting it out there that he's, he's in London. He has provided you all with his email address. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to Kami and to share with him your thoughts on uh, where he should go, what he should do. And I will clearly continue to talk to him and Mm -hmm. continue to offer whatever assistance I can to assist him in this journey. It's it's exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the trailer uh, that he has put together, and all of you will be able to, to see this. And, Perhaps this will stimulate other descendants of of slave owners to to take that extra step to start talking about it, to start filming the journey. And um, those that are part of the Beyond Kin project, you know, I want to hear from you too. You may have uh, recommendations and suggestions for Kami. So I I want one other thing. The coming to the table um, chapters. I don't know if there's any in that area, but they, they might need help from other slaveholding families as well, and definitely uh, records or, or, you know, questions and things like that. That's right, and just even just reviewing the coming to the table process may provide him with additional mm-hmm. information. Absolutely. I did send him uh, some information on coming to the table. So I'm, I'm hoping that that will will help him. So thank you so much. I mean, thank, thank special thanks to all of you for calling in tonight. And you know what? Let's just keep it going. Let's keep the conversation going. It's 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 Kami today and tomorrow is somebody else. But let's keep this conversation going. Let's talk about it in our genealogy societies. 
why not? I mean, look, we're all on this journey. We're all trying to connect with our ancestors. So a special thanks to you all for calling in and for Kami and Zaren and Sam Reinhardt for sharing their thoughts and what they're doing tonight. And everyone else, you know, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. And you should follow those clues that are presented to you through oral history, through through family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond, and your local genealogical societies. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfroGenius Facebook page. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. And I look forward to you joining me this week on Thursday for another exciting show, 400 Years of African American History. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone.